0: Such a privilege to be here with you this morning, and it has been such a privilege to just be in South Africa. I can send a very honest report that it is not, the grass is not greener on the other side. <laughs> but since I've been in South Africa, um, I speak with a lot more certainty. So when I first came out, I would say, my name is Chloe, but now I can say confidently, my name is Chloe. So so I am thankful, even though I have my American accent, I, some of my intuition, in, Intonation has changed, so that's been really good. Um, but then when I go home, they think I have an accent, and that's really good for fundraising. Because so, <laughs> they're like, wow, you're really acclimatized, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I've, I've, as I said, I've been here 11 years with YWAM Durban, and I am passionate about reconciliation and spiritual formation. Reconciliation in the sense of seeing the brokenhearted reconciled to the Father, themselves and others, and then also spiritual formation. What does it mean for us as the body of Christ to grow into maturity? And I know that um, I, I personally got to a point in my walk with God where I was like, okay, but what's next, you know? And then it's like, but what does maturity look like after 10, 15 years of following Christ? And so that's, that's really what I'm interested in is, is seeing the body of Christ formed into, into the image and likeness of Jesus for the sake of others so that we, we are formed into the image of Jesus, and then we take it places. Um, my own spiritual formation, which will really come through this morning with, what I'm going to, what, with what's on my heart for this morning, is just that I've had to learn very slowly, and it's been a very hard journey, that um, spiritual formation is not exclusively a process of the intellect. Um, it is actually being formed in your heart. And that is the gospel, transformation from the inside out, as opposed to humanism or behavior modification. I changed this behavior, therefore I'm sorted. But we know that humans are creatures of desire, and that doesn't work. If we want any sort of transformation, we need wholeness in our hearts. And actually, only Jesus can do that. So this morning... um, you yeah, what's been on my heart? You know, I've been, I've known that this is coming and I've been praying and interceding. And so I'm just trusting that God has just given me the right word for the right morning for each one of us, um, myself included, as much as this is for you, this is also 100% for me. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus responds to shame and um before we do that, I'm just wondering if we can just take a moment and quiet and still our hearts and thoughts and just take a moment to become aware of Jesus who's with us. I don't know if you've had a full morning or sometimes, I don't know, on a Sunday, I get to a point where I start to transition towards thinking of like the things that need to be done um, Kind of after this, when I grew up in church, I watched my mom during the sermon commonly doing the grocery list, which was going to be picked up after church. So, but you guys are South Africans, so you're a lot less task oriented than, than us Westerners. So well done for that. Um, so it's just helpful sometimes when we enter into God's presence, even though he, he's been here the whole time, just to allow our hearts to become aware of him and to just understand and know that he, that he is here with us. So so Jesus, right now, we just choose to still our hearts. We choose to still our thoughts. God, would you help us to focus completely on you? Lord, even the geese are trying to focus, but it's hard for them. Uh, (laughs) Lord, we pray that, um, that you would speak to us this morning. This may be in your own heart. If you just want to ask him, Father, would you speak to me this morning? Father, would you speak to me this morning? Father, would you speak to us? Would your word land on soft ground? Would your land, word land on soft soil? Father, we thank you that you are with us right now. Help us to maintain an awareness of your presence Speak to us, Jesus. Minister to us. Father, form us into the image and likeness of your Son. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. If you're the type of person who likes to turn in your Bible, you're welcome to do that. Luke chapter 7. Um, I personally, I have a weird thing about my Bible. I don't like to take it out of my house. <laughs> so I always use my phone because <laughs> I have this, um, when I was in Bible school, there was a ministry of um, for um, homeless people. And the number of people who would go and do this homeless ministry and end up giving their Bibles to homeless people I was like, "I can't be that person who takes my Bible out whenever I do anything. <laughs> so my Bible stays at home, but I, I've got it on my phone here today. So just a little quirk of, of that's my most prized possession. So in Luke chapter seven, we're going to be looking at quite a common story, but I'm going to tell us the story in like really bullet point fashion. Then I'm going to invite you to think about some reflective things. So that when I read it slowly, you can use your imagination, put yourself into the scene and think about where you will be. You're where you would be in that story. OK. So in Luke chapter seven, well-known story. Jesus is invited to have dinner, I assume, at the house of a Pharisee. There's a woman in the in the town nearby who hears that Jesus is dining with this Pharisee. So she runs to this house. She kind of breaks in, I guess you could say. She party crashes and she meets with Jesus and she begins to weep and her tears wet Jesus's feet. When I think about that, I'm like, my word, this woman must have been dehydrated after this because like how many tears do you need to to cry that they're dropping off and like washing somebody's feet? And then she wipes his feet with her hair and then anoints his feet with perfume, now Simon the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus there, he doesn't say this out loud, but he said, he thinks this to himself. He thinks, if this man knew who was touching him, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what sort of woman was touching him, and that he that she is a sinner. Jesus then perceiving his thoughts. Again, not out loud. Jesus is perceiving her, his, his thoughts and says, Simon, and then begins to tell him a story about how we can only love wholeheartedly when we've been forgiven wholeheartedly. So as as we read the scripture, just want to invite you to consider why, why do you think she's weeping? What compelled her to go to, to the Pharisee's house? I think if... If I think about this in modern times, I would think this would kind of be like um, a prostitute breaking into Cotswold and interrupting a really big dinner there. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a class difference. There, it's, it's a huge thing that, she's doing, that she has done. What compelled her to go to the Pharisee's house? What do you think the Pharisee sees when he looks at her? What do you think Jesus sees when he looks at her? What do you think she sees when she looks at Jesus? So I'm going to read this slowly. This is the best part of the sermon. So if you zone out for the rest of it, that's fine. But stay awake for this part. Um, Starting from verse 36. My Bible entitles it, um, A Sinful Woman Forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him, him meaning Jesus, to eat with him. And he reclined into the Pharisee's house and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Sinner here means prostitute. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And Jesus, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which one do you think loved him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose who who was canceled for the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for, your, for my feet, but she has wet my feet with, tear, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, now Jesus is looking at this woman. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Such a beautiful story. I just love Jesus' mercy heart first coming through for the woman, but then also coming through for Simon. Um, I imagine that Simon being a Pharisee was much more on the intellect side of things, So Jesus even meets him where he's at by telling him a story to helping him understand what's happening in that moment. If you were in that story, where would you be? Would you be the Pharisee? Would you be somebody just observing, watching? Would you be the sinner, recognizing their need for Jesus? Emotions are really beautiful and powerful. They help us to understand what's going on around us. They help us to perceive. They help us to connect with people, but they also help us to drive and sometimes drive us to act like they did with this woman in the story. One of the ways God speaks to us is through what we feel in the church. We call this discernment. That's really helpful. Um, And our emotions are often where Jesus meets with us. Just as a helpful side note, because I'm going to be talking, we're talking about shame this morning, but as a side note, I think it's really helpful to just always put in this type of disclaimer. It is imperative that as followers of Christ, we are not led by our emotions, but that they are held in rightful tension with the word of God. Because our, our emotions can tell us what's going on around us, but it doesn't mean that it's always a reflection of reality. That's what we have scripture for. What a beautiful gift that God has given us. So I can feel something, but it might might not be a reflection of reality, but that's okay. It's still signaling what's going on in my inner world and what it helps me to grow in understanding of what's going on in my life. But at the same time, we don't want to suppress our emotions. We don't want to be led by them. The Word of God tells us who we are, who God is, and He tells us about the world around us. So as I said, we're going to be looking at how Jesus responds to shame this morning. But shame is an emotion, and it's one of those emotions that kind of gets a bad rap, and understandably so. But what I'd like to kind of reframe it this morning with is, like, how can shame be something that brings us closer to Jesus? How can shame help us to identify our need for God? Shame is a signal point showing us what's going on in our inner world. And we, when we allow ourselves to acknowledge that we feel shame, it drives us to either be toxic or it drives us in a good way, a healthy way, to recognize our need for God, our need for others. That is, that is essential as to how God has created us. We have a need for God. And if we don't recognize that, then there's something missing in our Christian discipleship. Unlike other emotions, when shame becomes toxic, and this is, this is often what we see individuals struggling with in the church, but when shame becomes toxic, it attaches to our identity. And it begins to inform our perception of ourselves, God, and others. And why is that bad? Because that's the place of the word of God. Not an emotion. So shame can help us become aware of our our limitations. It helps us to cultivate humility. It creates an internal recognition and potential that we can fail. We can do some harm to people around us. It gives us a sense of mercy. When we recognize our shame and choose to not allow it to inform our identity, it reveals our need for help. It gives birth to the wisdom that we are not enough. Huge language that's being spoken around, especially in my generation, the millennials, we love to say, you're enough, you're enough. No, you're not, and that's the point. Jesus is sufficient. I'm not enough. Jesus is sufficient. Shame helps us to understand our need for God. When we humbly understand and realize that we're not enough, it it motivates us to reach out for God. I can't help but wonder if this is what's happening with the story with the woman. When shame becomes toxic, when we let it rule in our lives, it creates self-rejection. We equate humility with humiliation, failure with uselessness, and inability becomes worthlessness. When we have toxic shame, we reject our natural call to ask for help. When this happens, our value comes based on our performance, so we mask. We tell ourselves that if we're vulnerable, we'll be rejected. And we become hard on ourselves, trying to earn everything from love to grace. How we are perceived by others becomes the most important thing about us. Here, here, here's the difference, because I, when I... When I talk with people about shame, there's there's often the question of like, but what is the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt can be hidden. Toxic shame feels like it's always exposed. Toxic shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. A lifestyle of shame includes hiding, covering up, self-protection, And the most common example that we see of this in the church and in a missions organization is I cannot tell anyone I'm struggling with this sin because they will reject me. They will think less of me. They're not willing. They're not going to be willing to journey with me because my sin is just too great. And so what do we do? We mask, we cover up. If you look at Genesis chapter two, you have Adam and Eve in the garden and it says of Adam and Eve in the garden that they were naked and unashamed beautiful naked and unashamed though they were literally and figuratively exposed they did not feel exposed they were fully known and did not feel exposed there was no need for self-protection doesn't that make you long for paradise (laughs) there was no need for self-protection but now when you move to Genesis chapter 3, can't help but wonder how long that lasted. You move to Genesis chapter 3 and you see at the point of the fall that all of a sudden they become ashamed. They become aware that they are uncovered. They feel exposed. When Adam and Eve realize that they are naked, what do they do first? They hide from each other. They sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up. They try to make it right in their own effort. And then they hide from the father. Those fig leaves are not going to work when there's wind. We just know that. But, you know, God was gracious and provided animal skins for them. (laughs) Um, So the difference is, is, is that embarrassment and guilt will wear away over time. Shame does not, toxic shame does not. If you think of a moment um, that you feel embarrassed like i'm just going to give an example let let's say maybe i'm a little bit nervous of my movements right now because i kind of step back but like if i step back too far i'm gonna i'm gonna fall on this but like by wednesday i'm just gonna be laughing about that like it's fine you know what i mean it's just an awkward moment it's a bit embarrassing okay but if there's a shameful moment i will feel that same exact daunting emotion that i had when it originally happened if not worse. That is one of the best litmus tests to know if we have toxic shame in our lives. If you think of a situation and you feel the exact same way that you did when it occurred, there is something that has taken root there. And I want to just tell you it's toxic shame. So this would be a great moment in your own heart you just wanted to take a second and just ask the Holy Spirit if there's something that he wanted to bring to the surface for you. This isn't a time where we go digging and fishing. We just let the Holy Spirit do his work. Is he going to bring something up to the surface? If he brings something up to the surface, that's great. If he doesn't, it's also great. So in Luke chapter 7, we see a, pro- a prostitute recognize her own insufficiency. In her shame, she recognizes her need for God. It becomes a tool to become close to Jesus. There are two really beautiful things that we can miss in Scripture, just because culturally it doesn't land the same way with us as it did to to the original hearers. But the first thing that's really significant here is that she lets down her hair. Culturally, in that moment, in that cultural moment, a woman would have let down her hair for one of two reasons. One would be as a prostitute to seduce a man. We know that that's not what's happening, okay? And the second would be, as a, as a woman on her wedding night, she lets down her hair as a declaration to her husband to say, I am completely yours. So it is highly scandalous that she now is making this really intimate gesture by letting down her hair and saying to Jesus, I need you. I am completely yours. The second is that she anoints his feet with perfume the word anoint here has a um unlike some other words anoint this one has like a contract uh connotation to it so there's a sense of like she's she's breaking this vial of perfume over jesus's feet but what she's saying to him is i will continue to be yours this is like the, this is initiation of a type of what we would say in like a Western society is like a type of contract. There, There's, um, this is not a fleeting moment. So yes, her shame pushed her to go get to Jesus, but not to a point where she said, you know, now that I'm here, I, I'm just going to leave. So she's saying perpetually, my need for you, Jesus, is perpetual. So I am going to break this vial of perfume over your feet because I recognize my need for you is not just now, but I will need you later. I need you consistently in my life. Her gifts speak to union with Jesus. This is really Like, this is extravagant intimacy in a public setting. We call this awkward PDA, okay? This is extravagant intimacy in a public setting. Because before Jesus, according to her culture, she's naked in front of him. And she's taken that vulnerable risk to do that, arguably at a dinner party. But he has this beautiful response to her. He looks at her and he says to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith, the fact that you have reached out to me, that you have recognized your need for God, that has made you well. Go in peace. The word save there is sozo. So. It's just such a beautiful word, it speaks to wholeness and every part of her being, as though the emotional and psychological effects of a lifestyle of prostitution have been lifted off of this woman because she has recognized her need for Jesus. So as she experiences the safety of Jesus' presence, she is naked and unashamed. Here's the, here's the great exchange of the cross, which Leslie was talking about beautifully before when we, she led us to the communion table. Here's the great exchange of the cross, is that Jesus experiences public shame. He's betrayed, he's stripped naked, and he's hung on the cross. That is a shameful way to die, but he does that so that we don't have to live in toxic shame. Through Jesus, we can live an unashamed lifestyle. We can be unashamed because, he, because of the work that he has done on the cross. Jesus, would you help us to understand and know with every cell in our being, our desperate need for you. That, like, just our need for God. just feel that the invitation from the father let's move this into the practical just feel that the invitation from the father is that he's inviting you to be fully known without feeling exposed he's inviting you to be fully known without feeling exposed Maybe it's been a long time since you've recognized your need for God. Maybe you've done things in your own strength for a long time. I I know that I am consistently fighting this. This This is my personal inner battle. I feel like I'm a highly capable person, so I can just sort myself out and do things. But like Jesus is inviting us to recognize our need for God. Maybe you've done things in your own strength or your own effort, like Adam and Eve covering yourself up with big leaves. But He's inviting you into His loving arms, and He's offering you safety—the safety of His presence, the opportunity to be naked, to be naked and unashamed in front of Him. Just have Romans 10 here. It's it's nine to ten. Uh, Romans 10 verses 9 to 11. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What a beautiful hope that we have through the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. When we believe in Jesus, when we follow him, when we let him do what he needs to do in our hearts, we will not be put to shame. We will not be dishonored. So I don't know if you've been hiding imperfections. I want to encourage you to just take a few moments this morning to bring those imperfections to Jesus. We can only have an authentic encounter with the Father when we bring our authentic selves. Maybe shame has become toxic in your life, causing you to hide, cover up, mask, and perform. He's inviting you to come as you are. maybe you've been hesitant to acknowledge your need for help. He's inviting you to come and be dependent on him. Can I pray for us? Is that okay? So I don't know if if that if anything is kind of poking at you or anything is Anything in particular is resonating with you as an individual. Um, But just maybe as we pray, just asking the Father, just offering that to Him and saying to Him, God, I need you. I'm so desperate for you. Maybe when when we read Luke chapter 7, you put yourself more in the Pharisees' position. Um, I have less to repent for. Is essentially the Pharisee's position. So I can do it myself. But he's inviting you to come and bring it before him. Jesus, we thank you that we are not enough, but that you are. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Jesus, we thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your truth. Jesus, would you um, give us the grace and the strength to bring ourselves fully before you now, Lord? Lord, help us to experience the safety of your presence, that we would not hide, that we would not mask in front of you, Lord. God, help us to to experience what Adam and Eve felt with you. Help us to experience what this woman felt with you, what it means to be naked and unashamed, Father, what it means to be fully known and not feel exposed, God. God, we invite you to know the depths of our hearts. Jesus, we offer ourselves to you. Jesus, we offer ourselves to you. Jesus, help us to recognize our need for you each day. Lord, I pray that where there is self-sufficiency in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would begin to uproot it right now in Jesus' name. God, I do not want to be self-sufficient. Lord, help me to be dependent on you, Lord. Lord, help us to be dependent on you. Lord, where we have experienced shame, where it has become toxic. Lord, help us to, Lord, would you break that toxic shame, Lord, so that, so that we can be led to you, Lord. Would you draw us by your grace to you, Father? Lord, where we are weak from, from doing things in our own effort and in our own strength, God, would you draw us to you, Lord? Lord, would you do the work in, your, in our hearts, Lord, that only you can do? Lord, we thank you that it is not simply just changing a belief system, but Father, that you seek internal transformation from the inside out, Lord. God, would you transform our hearts. Lord, would you make us into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus. Father, would you be glorified in our lives. Lord, we thank you that, that even as Serepta Church is known as a people of God's provision, Lord, I pray that that provision would be met. Father, that it would be met in every aspect of their being, Father. Jesus, would you help us to extravagantly bring ourselves before you? Father, we thank you that even as you are safe, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be safe with one another.